So Money episode 1290, Ask Farnoosh. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. It's Friday, everybody. Welcome to the show. It is Ask Farnoosh Friday on So Money. We have questions about how much is too much money to be saving, how to best save for your children, not so much for college, but you know, just in general. And of course, I feel like every week or every other week, there's a question about Roth IRAs, probably the most popular retirement savings vehicle a listener wants to know. Should she do it? The big news this week is that on Wednesday, my team at CNET and I launched our CNET Money YouTube channel. It takes a village, everybody. I have attempted in the past to launch a YouTube channel on my own. I guess oh, trying to do this uh, at the brink of the pandemic uh, wasn't a uh, good timing. So that never happened. It never really took off. I did, I think, uh, four or five videos. Proud of those videos, but just was not able to keep it consistent. So happy to say that now I've got a good team in place. We're going to bring fresh videos once a week. And just like this podcast, the video channel on YouTube can be shaped by you. A lot of the topics that we're going to cover that I'm going to share advice on stems from your questions. So please send me your questions for this Friday episode for the YouTube channel. It's always the same place. You can email me for newshitsomoneypodcast.com. You can Instagram me. You can go there, direct message me there, or you can go onto the So Money Podcast website, click on Ask Farnoosh and uh, send me your question there. Very simple. But if you go to youtube.com, slash CNET money, youtube.com slash CNET money. You'll see we have, oh, about 11,000 subscribers already coming out of the gate strong. We'd like to get to 100,000, I think this time next year. So we need all of your help. Please, please, please make me look good in front of my new boss. Okay. Subscribe to CNET money. Our first video this week is about how to switch banks. I know a lot of us are thinking about, you know, maybe uh, moving over to a different financial institution, uh, not so much for the interest rates, because most interest rates everywhere are pretty lame, but a lot of interesting new digital banks are popping on the market. Some that I've reported on um, have a purpose-driven mission. They, they promise they're not going to take your deposits and put them towards fossil fuel projects, for example, which a lot of the bigger banks uh, tend to do. But in this video, I walk you through the step-by-step of safely switching banks so that you don't have any cracks and mistakenly get slapped with overdraft fees or bounce check fees, all those things. I mean, I've been with the same institution uh, for longer than I would like to admit. Maybe it sounds like I'm really committed, but as I say in the video, I think I'm just lazy. Doing this video also inspired me to think about maybe moving my money to uh alternate banks. Last weekend, uh, my son and I went to Barnes and Noble. He's super into these uh, Diary of a Wimpy Kid books. So he was begging me to go there and get one. And I'm really, I'm a real softy when it comes to wanting books. I feel like, uh, you know, we go to our library often, but if there's a real, if there's a book he really, really wants to keep, I am I'm a sucker for that. So we went to Barnes and Noble and very excited. We saw the So Many calendar, the page a day calendar on display, which is, you know, it's been a while 
while since any of my work has been in a bookstore, a new, new work, you know, I obviously have many books, but a new, that feeling of walking into a bookstore and seeing your work on display is pretty awesome. And we took pictures. We're that family right now that's just going from like bookstore to mall to, to find the So Many Page a Day calendar. Many of you have received your calendar. Good news. There's no shortage. There's no pipeline issue. And as I've been saying on this podcast, if you buy more than 25 books, I will be happy to come and join you for a Zoom, you and a group, maybe, you know, your company, your team, your family, your friends, your book club, I'm there. I just did a couple this month and more on the horizon, but this is something that I'm gonna offer through the month of January as well. Now, if you want more than 25 calendars, let me know because we do have some special discounts for bulk purchases. So before you hit the buy button, email me for newshedsomanypodcast.com. Let me know and I'll hook you up with a very, very generous discount. Everybody else can go to workman.com, use the code SOMONEY, Workman is the publisher, workman.com, find the calendar, use the code SOMONEY, and you'll get 20% off through the end of the year. In case you missed our episodes this week, we had Patricia Roberts on Wednesday. She is the author of Root 529, a book all about the 529 plan, which is the popular college savings vehicle. We have one for each of our kids. Before my son was even born, We started saving for him uh, 500 bucks a month, and now he's got almost 100 G's in his college savings account. And I just hope he goes to college. But Patricia and I talked about how to make the most of these plans, how to get the most out of them, even if you're not sure if your kid or your niece, your nephew, your grandkid is going to go to college. This is a savings vehicle that can be used not just for college now, but pretty much any kind of qualified education expense, including private school for young kids, including trade school, digital courses, perhaps. So it's uh, become a more far-reaching savings tool, potentially more appealing to more savers. So if you're interested in learning about 529 plans and also Patricia's own story about coming out of poverty, having lots and lots of student loan debt herself in her 20s and her 30s, and ultimately saving enough to send her son to college debt-free. It's quite the story. Uh, On Monday, we talked to Ed Combs, a financial planner and therapist. He's the author of The Healthy Love and Money Way. His approach to helping couples with money is this. He looks at your attachment style. He wants to figure out when you were a kid, when you were a child, what was your relationship with your parents or those who raised you as far as the attachment that you had with them. And there are four types of attachment theory that he believes is the main root of so many issues that come up uh, between couples when they have to relate to money. Fascinating stuff. I think I had a little bit of a breakthrough on that episode. And I would encourage you, if you're interested in learning more about your personal money relationship, how you got here, and 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 more specifically, how and why you are the way you are with money in your relationship and same for your partner, definitely check out Ed Combs from our Monday episode. On a personal note, um, we got our Christmas tree last weekend, and it is definitely the ugliest tree we've had to date. We didn't know this when we uh, first picked it out, there were some slim pickings, I gotta say, at the uh, Christmas tree place. Uh, we went there last year, had a great experience, loved our tree. This year we brought it home. It looked like the Charlie Brown Christmas tree. Um, I then proceeded to decorate the hell out of it uh, just because 
So I was trying to like, you know, zhuzh it up a little, a lot. And, but I will say that as time went on, as the days went by, it started to settle more and it, and it started to look a little bit more even balanced and now it's not so ugly, but it was, it was a, it was quite a look in the beginning. And I was just so tired. I was like, I, we got to work with this. <laughs> and now we actually kind of love it. You know, it's our tree. We made it, it's turned a corner. We gave it a makeover. It's coming to its own. All right. Enough about that. Let's hit the mailbag and answer your money questions this week. First up is Kate, who wants to know the best way to save for her godchildren and young children, her young children. She wants to open up an account for them that will grow over time and that she can then give them when they turn 18. What do you think about early bird? She asks. Early bird is an app that allows parents, family, friends to collectively invest in a child's financial future. She says, are there any other ways that you recommend I save? All right. So Kate, I would actually encourage you to go back and listen to my interview with Patricia Roberts from Wednesday, where we talk about the 529 plan, which is mainly a vehicle for education expenses. And you can open one up for your children. I'm not sure about your godchildren, but you can contribute as a gifter to an account for your godchildren that maybe their parents set up. But we also talk about some other ways to save for your children if you're not really dedicated to this idea of having this money go to college necessarily, but just generally you want to have money for them when they turn 18, there are custodial accounts. And Patricia talked briefly about those. And that gets us to early bird. So getearlybird.io is the URL for this new app that you wanted me to look into. Personally, I don't have any experience with early bird, but I, I understand what it is. And, and essentially it's an app that allows parents and loved ones to open a custodial account for a minor. Now, a custodial account is, we've talked about these on the show before. It's an investment account that's in the child's name, but it's managed by an adult. It's more flexible than a 529 because again, it's not specifically for education savings, but think of it like another transfer investment account. You basically start saving in this account on behalf of this child today. It grows. And then when that child turns 18 or 21, depending on the state, then the account becomes transferred over to them. This is where some parents and grandparents and loved ones decide this is not for them. In fact, that they they don't want the account to be completely transferred over to an 18-year-old who may then go and blow the money, right? And can use it on anything that, they, that he or she wants. And so early bird helps to create access to the to these types of accounts in a very simple manner. I mean, we are all used to using apps. They're very easy. The investment strategy at early bird is to basically, they say have, they have five fixed portfolios. You can go from conservative to aggressive, but they work with you to kind of figure out what is best based on, you know, your investment risk, your investment goals, how old the child is, all of those other factors. There is a fee. Uh, so it's, a dollar a month if you want to create an account for a child. If you're a family member or a friend and you're sending a gift, there is a small $2 gift processing fee. You can open up a custodial account 
at virtually any brokerage, online financial investment platforms. Our early bird's not your only entry point, but it is, again, a simple way to do this via your phone. But if you open this up at a brokerage account, they probably won't charge you a monthly subscription fee, right? But a dollar doesn't seem like that much. But brokerages usually don't charge you a subscription fee. They probably will charge you a management fee, though, for that account. The investments they choose may also carry fees. So there's that to consider. But I will reemphasize that many parents don't want a custodial account because they are concerned that once this money gets transferred over to the child at 18 or 21, again, depending on the state, that it may not be for the best. They will now relinquish control and that child can do whatever he or she wants with it. So my advice is if you do open this account for anyone in your life that you want to provide for in the future, that you have a conversation with this person as a mature, and you can explain that you've established this account, what your wishes are, what was your intention, and to relay this to the child so that they feel a sense of responsibility and purpose when they inherit essentially this money. A custodial account is sometimes called a UGMA account, Uniform Gifts to Minor Act account. That's the technical term. The taxes work in favor uh, of the child because the money is technically owned by the child. The earnings are generally taxed at the kid's tax rate, which is usually a lot lower than the parent's rate. And so that can be a healthy savings. But again, but but again, I think this does come down to control. Parents like the 529 because it has a very specific goal and the money is theirs until they decide who gets to have it. Um, and even then, uh, they're the ones that are making these distributions on behalf of the beneficiary. Next is our friend Sarah, who's wondering, how much is too much to have in the bank, Farnoosh? I know that having six months or more of my expenses set aside is important, but at what point should you start putting that money elsewhere for a better return, assuming that you've maxed out your Roth IRA for the year? All right, this is a juicy question. I like this. There's no hard and fast rule here, despite what some may say. In my book, I think that the balance you want to strike here is knowing you have enough to help you ride out a storm, a rainy day, and feeling secure. That's a little bit of a grayer area, right? We're all calibrated differently when it comes to our feelings and what makes us feel safe versus unsafe. So the first part of this is just, you know, practically speaking, if you were to lose your job today, Sarah, how long might it take for you to find a new one? This may depend on whether or not you want to go back into the same industry, transition industries, go back to school, maybe take some time off to reflect, or you want to jump right back in. When experts typically recommend that six-month rainy day savings account, they're thinking that that's, you know, at most how long it may take for you to recover if your income gets disrupted. Now, income can get disrupted by not having a job because we quit or we got laid off, getting disabled and not being able to go to work, having to take a leave of absence. Those are usually the big reasons. So if any one of those cases comes to life, what is the reality in your situation? Now, you know, you can look at numbers, you can look at, look at statistics, the labor department every month releases a figure that it captures the unemployment period. Um, so how long it's taking people to find jobs in the recession and in the thick of the pandemic, it was, I believe, like seven, eight months. Now, 
I would guess it's a shorter period of time. If someone is really ambitious and starts applying, they'll probably find work, I would say, by the six-month marker. And so if you have absolutely no money coming in, you'll want to cover yourself for those six months. Now, this isn't saying you have to replace your salary for six months, right? This is just saying calculate your bare bones expenses so that you can continue to live where you live, eat what you want to a degree, uh, maybe not so many restaurants, put gas in your car, pay your bills, pay your insurances, get your Wi-Fi so that you can just ride out this quote unquote storm. For entrepreneurs where there isn't like another job they can just plug into uh, within three to six months where maybe you have to cultivate a network to get clients, to get that cash flow coming, that can take longer. And for entrepreneurs, I and my colleagues in the personal finance space often recommend a year's worth of expenses just to give you that runway, right? Because when you're an entrepreneur, you have to assume that you're going to make some mistakes. You might have some setbacks. It may take some time for you to build momentum and not even just in the beginning, but throughout the experience, you know, you can have setbacks. And so having that one year allows you the financial capacity to keep at it without feeling the pressures, making knee-jerk reactions in your business just to bring in money, which, which can do long-term damage. So that's tactically speaking, you know, six months to a year, depending on if you're working in corporate America or you're self-employed, different. And also it would be different depending on, you know, what industry you're in. So some industries are growing while others are contracting. So if you lose your job and your industry is contracting, maybe it will take closer to six months, maybe a little bit longer for you to find work. And so that's why six to nine months is a healthy range. Now that's one half of the equation. The other half of the equation is you personally, your comfort level with what you see in that bank account? Are you satisfied in terms of feeling secure? I'll tell you, in times like these, when there is a lot of uncertainty, when we're still fighting a pandemic, cash is king, cash is queen. I know that uh, the art, the financial arbitragers out there, you know, right, the ones that are always after getting the most return and you know, it's all about numbers, uh, they may not agree with what I'm about to say, which is this, feelings matter, feeling safe matters. It's invaluable. The ability to put your head to rest at night knowing that you have more than enough, a little bit more than enough to help you when life really throws you a curveball. There are things that we can predict and there are things that we can't predict. What if those unpredictable things happen? Wouldn't it be nice to have maybe an extra three months of savings? So for you, because I know asking this question says a lot. The fact that Sarah, you've reached out, you know, says that maybe there is an underlying fear of not having enough, that you're a little bit more cautious, conservative than the average person. So if you feel better knowing that you have nine months of savings, 10 months of savings instead of six, I am not gonna sit here and say, you gotta take that four months and put it in the stock market because that's, you know, that's where the smart money goes. Like, no, I want you to do you and do what's safe for you. You're trying to strike a balance here. You're not putting millions of dollars in in cash reserves, right? You're, You're putting what you feel like is quote unquote enough, practically speaking, but also personally speaking. Now, once you feel like you've reached that balance, you've struck that balance, then you go to the stock market and you've got the Roth IRA already maxed out. Great. Are there other tax-friendly investment vehicles at your disposal, such as a 401k? Could you invest there and maybe even get 
a match from your employer. Those are the investment accounts that I would start with, the Roth, the 401k. If you've done that and you want to do more, then I would say open up a brokerage account if you haven't yet, where you can invest in index funds, ETFs, low-cost funds. You can create similar portfolios that are in your 401k and your Roth IRA in this brokerage account, which again, you can op- which you can open up on virtually any robo-advisor. Do review the fees. But the brokerage account is not a retirement account, right? It's basically just an investment account. You can put money in and out however much money you want in. You can take however much money you want out. Penalty-free, you just pay the taxes. And that is how many people who have sort of maxed out the tax-friendlier accounts, that's the next level. They open up the brokerage account. Sarah also has a follow-up question, which is that she is looking to increase her credit limit on her credit card. Should she do it? Her concern is that it may bring down her credit score. She has great credit. She always pays her bill off every month. So would increasing her credit limit on her credit card hurt her score? The quick answer is no, it shouldn't. In theory, it shouldn't. And in actuality, it should not. Uh, What happens when you increase your credit limit on a card? So let's say originally you had a card that gave you a $10,000 limit. Now you're raising that to 20,000. So you're doubling that. And, you know, you're just spending as you would on that card. Um, Of course, she says she's paying off that bill at the end of the month. So at the end of the month, her debt to credit ratio is 0%. The debt to credit ratio is very important when you're looking at improving your credit score. The FICO credit score looks at the debt to credit ratio very closely, weighs it very heavily. It's about 30% of your credit score calculation. The rule of thumb is to try to keep that ratio to no more than 30% at any given time in the month, preferably 10%. I mean, we look at the people in this country with the highest credit scores and their debt to credit ratios are you know less than 10%. Remember too, that your credit score can get pulled in the middle of the month, even though you plan to pay off that card in full at the end of the month, your credit score could get pulled before that happens. And so you will have a balance, let's say on a Tuesday in December. And even though you're planning to pay off that bill on Friday, on Tuesday, your credit score gets pulled and you've got a $2,500 balance that hasn't been paid off yet. You're not behind, you're not delinquent. It's just a balance that's sitting there waiting to get paid off on time. Nevertheless, your debt to credit ratio is now $2,500 divided by your credit limit. Now, if she raises that credit limit, that raises the denominator in that equation and that brings down the percentage, that debt to credit ratio percentage. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. I've often said this can be a really quick hack to increasing your credit score. Sometimes you get an offer in the mail for this. You can also call your credit card company or go onto your website, your credit card company website, log in and request a credit limit increase. Um, Sometimes it requires a credit check just to make sure obviously you're in good credit standing, but it is not going to hurt your score to try to do this. Um, assuming, of course, you're, you go about doing all the right things, paying your bills on time, payment history is very important. It's the most important part of your credit score. But uh, short answer, no, this should not hurt your score, Sarah. Thanks for both of your questions. And last but not least, Morgan says, help help me. My company offers a 100% match on my first 3% contribution and 50% on my next 2% contribution to my 401k. So effectively, I get an extra 4% for contributing 5%. Not bad. So what's the problem? Okay, here's what she says. She says, the company is offering that match on the 401k 
and the Roth 401k. Which one should I do? I make $82,000 a year as a 25-year-old, and I feel that I'll be making more as the years go on, and hopefully a lot more in the next 40 years. Which should I choose to contribute to? I already have $8,000 in Roth 401k from my previous company. So Morgan, I'm going to tell you that I think the Roth 401k is probably your best bet. If you are making the sort of money that you qualify for the Roth, whether that's a Roth IRA or Roth 401k, I would do the Roth. I would do the Roth option. The Roth option, as we know, allows you to contribute post-taxes. So you pay money on the contribution today, goes into the Roth, and then you take that money out in retirement tax-free. Your tax bracket right now is, I hope, is going to increase over the years. I mean, not like anyone likes to pay more taxes, but the good news of paying more taxes is that you're making more money, right? Uh, And of course, at 25, uh, you're not in your prime. (laughs) You're not, I mean, most of us are, unless we're like NBA players, but this is not your prime earning years. And now you're 25, you've got options, you got a Roth 401k, do it. And we know that contributions to a Roth can be withdrawn at any time, penalty-free, so it's more flexible in that way too. And then when you make more money, do the traditional 401k or traditional IRA. But Morgan, can I just say, you're 25 years old, you're listening to this podcast, you're going to be okay. I think you're you're doing great. I think you've got your head on straight. Well, can you imagine where... Uh, We'd all be if we were all listening to podcasts like this at 25. I mean, a lot of us in the audience are in our 20s. I recognize that. But a lot of us are in our 40s and older, like me. I didn't have this kind of stuff when I was 25. I had to basically just, I had Mary. She was in HR at New York One. She was uh, very persistent and persuasive in getting me to invest in the company 401k. I probably would have just skipped it because I thought to myself, there is no way I can afford living in New York, making what I make, paying my bills, and then you want me to just put money away for the next 40 years? I'm sorry, I have to pay my bills. They're due this month. But she said, listen, there's a match. Just start with whatever you can. I recommend, you know, start with 6%. Then with the match, it's going to be 10%. If it gets to be too hard, you can always adjust. She was right. But you know what? It was something that I just got used to. I got used to whatever money got deposited into my bank account every month after contributing to the 401k and I made it work. I made it work and I left that job two and a half years later with $40,000 in that 401k. Do you think I would have been able to save $40,000 on my own? I would not have been able to do that. So Morgan, you're going to be okay. I think the Roth 401k is the smarter move, but check in with your HR department too. Make sure they agree with me. I want to make sure I'm not missing something. All right, that's our show for this Friday. I hope everybody has a great weekend. If you're looking for something to do, if you're on the internet and you're like, I just want to be distracted, check out youtube.com slash CNET money. Would love for you to subscribe to the channel, share it, like it, leave a comment, leave us your questions. There's only two videos there right now. So it's not a huge commitment if you go there. It's not like it's going to kill lots of hours. But eventually we're going to be populating that channel. We will be bringing a fresh video every Wednesday for starters. And I hope you like it. I really do. It's been in the works for some time and we're really proud of it. But of course, we want your feedback. So please join us and I'll see you back here on Monday. All right. And I hope your weekend is so money. Bye.